This is episode 99 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley. I'm joined today by Mindy Carney. I'm like trying to like think of like 99 episodes of EdTech Takeout on the wall. Do you know that song? Is that a cultural? I was thinking about, you know, playing some 99 Red Balloons or something. Yeah, that's good too. 99 go reference. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we should have a reference for every episode yeah. number on the podcast. Maybe not. Maybe not. Let's not. All right. Are you ready for some news and follow-up? Let's just jump straight to business okay, today. Okay, okay. Use and follow up. I wanted to uh, talk to you about the universal at menu in Google Docs. Do you even know what this is? I don't think I do. The universal at menu. So here's the thing. I'm going to hate this, aren't I? I'm doing this little uh, presentation for our support staff. Okay. I kind of a catch up. I kind of a, in case you missed it on Google updates. Yeah. And this is one of the things that I put in there because every time you start a new Google Doc now, so if you start oh, yes, a brand I've new Doc, yep, okay. it says at the top, it says type something and yeah. it has like the little at sign or yeah. something, type at to insert. So I don't know. Oh. I, I think this is fairly new and I think it's been out there a while. I just haven't used it much, but I was yeah. playing with it recently and you can type at and it will suggest people. And if you start typing like file names, it will yeah. suggest files on your drive. If you want to do something in Google Doc, like a table or something, you can type at table and it will, you know, let you uh, insert a table. Hmm. Somebody on Twitter saw that if you type at today, it will to today's date. Oh, so, so instead of just typing the date out? Yeah. <laughs> instead of just typing the date out. Or, you know, there's some days where you're like, I don't even know what day of the week it is, let alone what date it is. And okay, so, I'll give you that. Fine. Yeah. You can look for people. You can look for files, huh. calendar events. And so if you do an at and file, like another doc, it pulls it in or just links it? Or what's the... What's yeah, it, like? it, it kind of does. You know how when you did, you used to do it with an at a person and it put yeah. like a little oval around it yeah. and you could click on the person's name? It does the same for the file. It puts the title of the file there and then you can either preview it or you can open it in a new tab. Well, interesting. It is, isn't it? It's yeah, just it is. different. Yeah. So yeah. if you haven't played with, I don't know, Google is calling it the universal at menu, huh. which... okay. Or ampersand. No, it's not ampersand, is no. it? No. The universal at, at menu? Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, I'll link to a blog post what they're uh, doing with that. But I yeah. think it's just like, I guess it's the equivalent of like a, a hashtag mm -hmm. on social media yeah. or some way to group and find information and things like that. So, yeah. So, there you go. Well, all right. Something else okay. from my In Case You Missed It presentation. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. We should have done that for our topic today. <laughs> Chrome Actions. You know what Chrome Actions are? No, I don't think so. There's a number of things that you can type into the address bar in Google Chrome to I get a quick know action this was for a thing. stuff. I know. So you can write things like create doc, and oh. then it'll have a little thing down below it, and you can click it, and it will open a new doc for you. Uh-huh. You know, when you're with the IT people and they say, oh, you need to clear your cookies, and you're like, I can't remember where that are. Keep All your... you have to do is write clear cookies, and in yeah. the address bar and underneath, it will show you where to go and click to clear your browsing data. Nice. If you want to update Chrome, you just type update Chrome in the address bar, and underneath is a little link to click on it, and it will take you to about Chrome, and you can update yeah. your browser. So there's a whole list of these things. Yeah. You see them on here? Yeah. I um, have this weird thing with my 
autofill for my address that sometimes the zip code is wrong and sometimes it's correct. So I know that somewhere I have it in my I have the address in there twice and one mm. of them has the wrong zip code. And I always think, how in the world do I ever edit or fix that? I bet this is it. I'm just going to have to look through and figure out what it is. It's probably one of these. You yeah. Can, it's just a little shortcut way of yeah. getting to different settings inside of Chrome because the more stuff they add to Chrome, the more complicated settings get and right. it's harder to find things. So I think it's a nice, easy way to, to do some of this Yeah, stuff. huh. That's a good one. That's super interesting. I did not even know that was a thing. And it's probably been around forever. Yes, so I don't know. I don't know if it's news or follow up, but yeah. as far as news for us today, yeah. Um, something else I think is new, and I don't know if you saw this going around Twitter, but I've seen lots of people tweet this. Okay, um, inside of Google Slides now. Okay, if you go to the View menu, yeah, there is the option to show or hide the film strip. Oh yeah, and I didn't know they were calling this the film strip anymore. What is the film strip? What is it? Do it, and you'll oh. see it go away. That's what the film strip is? The film strip <laughs> is those little thumbnails of the slides down the left-hand side. Huh. So if you wanted more room or you're, yeah. like, designing, like, a yeah. one-page flyer or yeah. uh, something like that, or I know there's a lot of teachers that use that, that gray space outside so that students mm -hmm. drag things yeah. into the main slide and yep. stuff like that. So you can show and hide your... Thumbnail slides. No, your film strip. You can show and hide your <laughs> film strip from the view menu now inside of Google Slides. Interesting. There you go. Well, all right. Okay. Next one on the list, we have GimKit goes free. This is so funny that this is on here because just today I saw GimKit on something and I always think, what is GimKit? I can never remember what GimKit is. What is GimKit? Remind me again. It's kind of a formative assessment, okay. quizzing type tool. But yeah. whenever I think of GimKit, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that paid thing that we Maybe don't that's use. why I don't ever pay attention to it because it's yes. always paid. Well, now... Well, it, it's not 100% uh, legit here. Their, sure. okay. their blog post is GimKit goes free, okay. and it's not 100% free because you can still have a paid subscription for it. But okay. the free plan that they now offer is a lot more flexible. All right. So normally on GimKit, there's like, I don't know, they say there's over a dozen different game modes that you can play. On the new free plan, you get unlimited access to their currently featured modes. Mm. So each month or whatever, or time of the year, they will feature certain things. Like okay. these are our featured game modes. Oh. You can play those as much as you want for free okay. on a free account. Hmm. So unlimited access to those. And um, the rest of the modes are available um, With a five-player limit? With a five-player limit, yeah, uh, which isn't a lot of... It's just for home. It's, it's for home. I mean, it's to let teachers <laughs> try it, it out try, with their right? kids at home, yes, yeah. <laughs> and think, is this working or not? And so if you want full access to all the plans, all the games at all time, then the pro accounts are still there. But for everybody else, I think it's... You know, mm. makes sense, I think, to sure. have that freemium model for those that maybe just want to try it out. And eventually, I'm sure people will be like, oh, I wish I could play this all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can now for you the can, low, low price of whatever it costs like to subscribe. $7 dollars. Wow, that's pretty expensive for GimKit. <laughs> I hope it's not. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's not that much. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure not, too. So there you go. GimKit is free. Okay. Ish. Ish. 
And last one I wanted to share, yeah. uh, I saw this on Twitter, that Canva and Flipgrid are getting together and Canva have now created a bunch of Flipgrid templates nice. that you can use. Hmm. So you can go over to Canva's templates and just yeah. uh, search for Flipgrid and you'll find those there. But Flipgrid backgrounds that you can use with yeah. the, the Flipgrid camera. And these are good things. It's like a mind map. There's different outlines. There's like book reviews. So it's not just like having a cool office picture in the back. It's right. Like it's not actual just, usable background. Mm -hmm. It's to not share just a virtual something. background, yeah, like for right. Zoom or something. So. Yeah, great idea. Well played. Two of our favorite people getting yeah, together right. and doing good things together. <laughs> <It's> nice. <laughs> All right, so up next, serve to you, piping hot. Our main course today is student engagement revisited. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if it, the mic picked that up or uh, not, yeah. but yeah, I think we had this idea to do a student engagement um, podcast, and we started planning it out, and then mm -hmm. I was looking back thinking, hey, did we, did we already do this? <laughs> and so... Keen listeners may note that in episode 75, we had right. um, a podcast on student engagement. But I think everything we talked about then still holds true. Sure. But I think ever since then, you know, there's been more things that we've learned and more things that we sure. can add and give ideas. It's almost like that, that Maya Angelou quote oh. about, you know, know better, do better. Oh, you know? yeah. 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 So right, right. I, think, I think we know more now than we did then. So Certainly. we've got more to share. Absolutely, we do. So why don't we start with a okay. little bit of myth busting. Mm, mm -hmm. And I think we talked about this on episode 75. Yeah, we did. Yep, yep. But um, the idea of engagement versus compliance. And those things are, are, are not the same thing. No, they're not. And I... Um, had this, I saw this again, right? And so I was thinking about it, and Gina Rogers had shared this um, continuum of engagement from the distance learning playbook. And as you know, we're huge Hattie fans. So who else wrote the Hattie book of distance learning playbook? So it's John Hattie. Fisher and Fry. Yeah, Fisher and Fry. So um, she had shared this with a teacher that we were working with, and it really, I think, hit home for him and it hit home for me too. So it's actually um, a continuum of seven different um, dispositions, I would say. Mm. So one of them, the first three would be what we would call probably disengagement. So of course, like the disrupting and distracting others. I mean, when you think of like naughty, I'm using air quotes, yeah. you know, that's kind of where you're at. The next one is avoiding. So looking for ways to avoid work and other off-task behavior. And then withdrawing, so being distracted and physically kind of separating from the group. So those things we kind of consider um, disengagement. But the next three are engagement, but I think the next one participating is doing work, paying attention, responding to questions, is what I would still consider being compliant. Yeah. Um, and moving along from there is investing, asking questions, valuing the learning. So that, that's a difference between the participating and the investing. If you see students who are asking questions, who, you know, clearly value the work and value the learning. And then the last one is driving, which means students are setting goals. They're seeking feedback. They're self-assessing. And of course, we want to see all of our kids in that driving disposition 
and they're not going to be there all day, every day, right? Yep. For the yep. most part. Um, but I thought it was a really nice continuum to kind of more clearly define the difference between um, that compliance and engagement, because we know what disengagement looks like. I don't mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. part is the hard part. The hard part is kind of recognizing the difference because we do also want compliance, right? Yeah. I mean, let's be serious. As teachers, yeah. we want students to be compliant in a society where we are built on compliance and you know social norms. Those things are important. Um, We're working on a timetable. We've only got so much yeah, time in the day right. to get yeah. the content yeah. out. We need yeah. cooperation from the students. Yeah. So. yeah. But at the same time, it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so um, the teacher, one of the things that he was going to do with this then was um, have it up in his classroom and then also have it on the students' desks so that it could be more of a become more of a metacognitive process. So students, he might stop class in the middle when things are kind of either going really well or maybe need a little bit more refocusing and have students just take a minute to self-evaluate where they are in that continuum and then what it would take to move them up a box. And I thought that was kind of a nice way to have students also be part of that process and use it as a tool to help them maybe re-engage if they needed to. Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. So this came from some research from Anne Berry. Anne is Berry, that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who I think has been working out of the same university as John Hattie. Yeah, so they must be friends. Makes sense that that research <laughs> ended up in their book. Yeah. Yeah, I do have a link here for a blog post by Katie Martin because this image is taken, like I said, from the distance learning playbook, but she actually has the image itself um, in a blog post. And so you can see that image yourself and take a look at it. And then she also quotes some of that research as well. Okay. And I think the other um, major myth that we sometimes hear, especially in, in our roles as digital learning consultants, is that technology equals engagement. Mm-hmm. And if we want the kids to be more engaged, we just need to find the right tool to do it. Right. Yeah, which is unfortunate. It is, and often backfires. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you probably all remember that first time you showed your kids Kahoot, and they were like 100% engaged. They were like, I need this, I need more of this. And yeah, then sure. by the 8th or 12th or 700th time like they did day. Kahoot. Yeah, right. Yeah, not so engaging anymore. Yeah, I think um, I I think there are some parts of technology that lend themselves to more engagement when students have the ability to use the technology for creation or for learning a little bit at their own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're using technology strictly to keep our kids engaged, then that's where the challenge is. Yes. It comes down to the context. Yes. I think you're right. right. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, if you're always doing things on paper worksheets yeah. and then one day you break out the computers, that yeah. will probably be more engaging That's for a right. lot of the kids because right. it's something different from their right. routine mm-hmm. of doing things. So, you know, sometimes it's just by default, it's going to be more engaging, but yeah. Other times you're just going to have to think a little harder about, you know, where and how you're you're using that technology in order to help with engagement. Yeah, because technology technology can be just as distracting as it is engaging. Yes, it could be. Yeah, <laughs> technology could be on that disengagement continuum. It be, it's disrupting. It it's distracting yeah. others. <laughs> it's looking for ways to avoid work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, bear that in mind. I guess. Yes. Uh, Two edged sword. Yes. 
So I think what we got for the rest of this uh, little topic here, I mean, I, we do have a, a companion blog post for this. Yeah. Seven Ways to Increase Student Engagement. Written by Jonathan Wiley. Thanks, Mindy. <laughs> <laughs> Link to that in the show notes. Yeah. It's on our Grantwood blog. Yeah. Um, it was kind of through the lens of, of UDL. So a lot of these yeah. are in the UDL guidelines if you are uh, looking for some references for these. But let's start off with the first one we've got here, and that's the idea. We were talking about this just before we started recording. Yeah. Make learning relevant. Yeah. Because it's that old chestnut you get from kids a lot. Why are we learning this? Yeah. If there's no why, yes, it's super hard to get kids engaged. In. Yeah. And I would even say, I mean, our examples were, um, you know, off sh- off show, I guess, where we were talking a little bit about math. And math mm-hmm. is challenging, I think, because I know there are things in the standards that, you know, students need to learn that I might look at and be like, wow, I've never used that in my adult life. If that's the case, and you probably are going to have things that are, you know, that you're teaching that you're like, I don't necessarily know why I am teaching this to the students that then it's important to somehow tie it in to something else for them, you know? So um, if you're doing some sort of graphing, play Battleship. If you are, um, you know, doing some sort of data analysis, make the data about the students somehow. And data analysis, I think, is a really important skill. So I'm not saying that that one isn't. But it might be hard for younger students to identify where that might live in their life down the line. It might even be hard for high school students. Why do I need to analyze um, data? So finding those connections that connect it back to them in that moment, if you're finding it also hard to say why you're learning it, um, making it relevant in the moment then for those students, I think, is more short-term relevance as opposed to long-term relevance. I think sometimes maybe it only comes down to, you know, this is part of critical thinking and reasoning and, you know, those types of skills that people are looking for in jobs that if you can attack this formula or this equation or something and you know ways to try and decipher it, then, you know, that's that's, that's critical thinking skills and reasoning skills. But we don't want to make that the catch-all for all of this. We want to make connections wherever we we can. So look for those in the learning if you can find them. Mm -hmm. All right, next one. Next one, uh, thinking about removing barriers to learning. Yeah. And I, I put on here maybe seen or unseen because sure. sometimes we, we we can look at things and we can know why a student is finding it hard to access the content or get engaged in the learning. And other times it's not immediately obvious. Sure. So, I mean, maybe sometimes, you know, if, if all your – curriculum material is not maybe culturally appropriate and your students can't identify with where they are from and and who they are as people then that could be hard for them to engage if your students aren't uh, great readers but you're giving them a textbook and saying read this chapter and they have no other way to attack the text other than looking at it with their eyes and then you know that could be a barrier to to engagement there's just Mm -hmm. all kinds of ways that we need to maybe think about and look for seen or unseen barriers. Yeah. I think one of the important things to think about is really recognizing what the learning intentions are and then whether or not you can remove barriers to get kids to that learning intention. Remember that episode we did forever ago that was like, we cheat every day? Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me think too, like, 
why why not give kids the ability to voice type unless you're grading handwriting? Mm-hmm. You know, and so and those video and audio um, directions and text and things like that really allow students to show you what they know about whatever the learning is. So I think that's sometimes some of it is just thinking about what do I really need to know that my students know and what things have I or are there blocking them from actually showing me those things? Yeah. So part of it is about knowing your students as well because yeah, right. that's, that's going to be different for one student compared Absolutely. to the next student yeah. and just trying to anticipate and think about that when you're planning your lessons yeah. you know where are the barriers here where do I need to put some extra supports in yeah and I guess one other thing I did write down that I think sometimes we don't think about is sometimes just providing more time yeah is an easy thing yeah, right definitely. so mm-hmm. um, even if you're thinking well I don't really know what that looks like just allowing more time for some students that are, you know, take a little bit more time to process takes the stress out of situations that maybe isn't necessary to have. Yeah. And it's easy to say, well, if you don't finish, then finish at home. But yeah, right. you know, that's, right. that's not great for, for those students that right. need that extra time. Support. It's just giving them extra yep. work to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number three. Okay. Um, I was thinking about this one. Number three includes student choice and or voice Mm -hmm. in your work there. And I I guess I was trying to think back to like when I was a student, I don't think I had any choice or voice in my learning when I was growing up. They never said do this or this, or you can get a choice of these five things to do. Here's the thing, do it and and work through it. But I'm old, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You are, that's right. Today, I think we see more of that than we used to. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of times when we talk a little bit about voice and choice that it can make people feel a little skittish because they think, oh, my gosh, what, you know, how many choices do I need to provide? It's not, I always call it forced choice. Like you still want to provide choices for your students that will get them to the learning. It's not just like a free for all for everyone. It's about really, I think, making a forced choice for students so that, you still are comfortable with what they're doing, that you still feel like, okay, I, I, I'm okay with what's going on in here. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be five different choices. It can be two yeah. choices. Yeah. And they might be not that different from one another, but just providing some of that um, choice does allow students to have a little bit, I think they feel a little bit more um, powerful in their learning when they are able to make some of their own decisions during the day. And this is something you do quite a lot of, presumably with the blended learning team. Yeah. When you're working on choice and playlists and things like that. We do. And, you know, we talk about playlists and different types of playlists and um, the different things that you can put in a playlist. And I have linked here uh, a one pager about different types of playlists. So there's a to do playlist where um, tasks could be completed in different ways, either by an individual or in a small group or in combination. So it could be that everybody has the same tasks, but maybe I today am choosing to work by myself and maybe I'm choosing to work with a partner. Mm-hmm. So that's an easy choice, yeah, right? And I think we see that choice a lot. Um, other things would be like a differentiated playlist where um, teachers have maybe different playlists or different choices that students can make based on um, skills that they still need to work on, Uh, maybe different modalities of how to engage in the content. Like maybe you would prefer to have a small group mini lesson. Maybe you'd rather watch this video. 
um, so that students are able to choose then how they obtain the content. And then I think what most teachers really end up enjoying the most are kind of a must-do and may-do. So the must-dos are things that all students have to do um, and get finished maybe during a week or in a three-day period. And then there might be some choices in the may-do part, and students then can choose in there what they'd like to do that maybe is how they apply what they've learned or how they might extend what they've learned. Um, And so we call that a must-do or may-do playlist. Sounds like we may need to go back and revisit our blended learning again on a future podcast episode. I'm getting sucked in here and drawn into it all. So, yes, choice and voice, a great way to help keep students engaged in the, in the learning there. Next one, I think, is something that should be an easy one, I think. I mean, yeah. Sometimes we maybe overlook it or forget about it, but that's the ability to create a safe space for learning. Mm-hmm. And maybe more specifically, just you know, a place where students can take risks and yeah. not have a fear of, of failure. Because mm-hmm. I, I wrote down here on the doc, it was my favorite Mythbusters quote from Adam and Jamie on the Mythbusters always used to say, failure is always an option. Yeah, right. If I had a t-shirt, failure is always an option. And yeah. I think, you know, we don't want to fail every day at everything we do in school right. because that would be very disheartening. But we want kids to have, you know, the confidence to go out and, and try some things. And if they fail, then that's fine. They get more than one chance to do something. It's mm-hmm. not like uh, they fail it and they get an F and that's on their grade. It's, yeah. you know, we need more time to practice and, and do things like that and have a safe space for learning where we feel confident to do things like that. Yeah. And I think there that's all about the culture of the classroom, which I yeah. think um, probably kind of hits this next one that we're going to talk about too. But, you know, that's, it's there is um, an instructional strategy that, and I didn't link it in here, but um, it's I, Gina Rogers calls it celebrating mistakes. I think it's also one of the, another way that I've seen it is my favorite no, and it's about bringing in mistakes that students or that teachers have found, and you get to kind of talk about why that was a mistake and how did it to kind of celebrate how mm-hmm. students are making mistakes. Yeah. Um, and it also comes into a little bit of error analysis too, like why was this a mistake or where did we go wrong? Or um, And so really I think honoring the effort is such an important thing if you ever want your students to have any sort of productive struggle. Yeah. <laughs> They've got to feel honored in that struggle, right? Yeah. Number five on yeah. the list. You were hinting at it already. Yeah, it was. Encouraging social learning. So giving students the ability to work with each other, to collaborate together, to, I don't know, do group work. You know, I think there's ways that, obviously, in elementary we do this a lot. I'm sure in middle school and high school they do it as well. But we give students roles inside of a group work so that they know that they don't just have to sit there and listen or they can't get a word in edgeways or they don't have to do anything because everybody's got a role. Everyone's a there's a timekeeper, there's a facilitator, there's a note taker, yeah. there's all these different types of roles we can give students. And it's one of those skills that you see time and time again on, you know, skills wanted by employers in 2025 yes, and all right. the rest. And, yeah. you know, being able to collaborate and work well with others. <laughs> these soft skills or whatever yeah. we want to call them. Yes. Yeah, you know, I think that, um, and we often talk about, you know, the difference between group work and collaboration, which I think is always a challenge for teachers, too, because we are, you know, you'll hear students say, well, I'm the one that always had to do everything, or there's always three kids that don't 
do yes. anything. And yes. that's a challenge. Um, and I think if anything, we found, you know, during the years of COVID that we, some, some of us missed socially learning with one another. I think other people thrived in that situation. So we have to honor that too. But I did come and you mentioned some of these things, but I found this thing called a contribution checklist. And it comes from the Visible Learning and Mathematics K-12 book. Um, And what I thought was interesting about this, and I couldn't find like a template for this that wasn't work, like work job related. Mm -hmm. But some of the jobs that were on this contribution checklist, I thought were interesting. One of them would be that you're the person who asks the questions. Ooh. I know. That's interesting. Um, One person, and this was in a math book, like I said, but it would work across content. One person checks others' work. Mm -hmm. Uh, One person keeps team on task. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, One person is the encourager. Uh, Yeah, I like that. Um, One of them is the sense maker, meaning that they make sure that the answers make sense for the question that's being asked. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, one of them makes sure makes sure that everyone can describe the reasoning. Oh, okay. And then the last one was a connection maker, so trying to make a connection to what they're talking about to something else. That goes back to that relevance part almost know, as well, doesn't right. it? Yeah. So I thought those were interesting things because I do think that we struggle with moving past just group work into actual collaborative conversations with in academics, right? So yeah. I thought those were kind of interesting jobs. Now, that being said, we can't just give those jobs to students and expect that to happen. It has to be modeled. Exactly. You have to have expectations. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. But I did think that that was kind of a just some different jobs that I hadn't seen before that I um, that I thought were neat. I, don't I know. like those. Yeah. yeah. Those are good. All right. Number six here. And I know this is something that John Hattie talks Mm -hmm. about a lot, too. It's the idea of making feedback matter, which which is hard because, you know, I I know as a teacher and you'll know as a teacher that, you know, the amount of things that you've written on paper for kids that they just either don't read or don't care about or like, whatever, (laughs) tell me what I have to do and I'll do it again and and this kind of thing. So it's the idea, you know, that feedback needs to be frequent, timely, specific. And, you know, we're really thinking about, you know, mastery-orientated feedback. We want to give kids multiple chances at things because they're not always going to get it straight away. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's just not how we learn things. We need practice at that kind of thing. So looking at ways that we can and give feedback. And as as I was looking into that that blog post, I I did see some research studies. I think this was in the book from Katie Novak and Catelyn Tucker Uh on their UDL Blended book. They said that there's some research out there that says that feedback uh, is often responded to better by students when it's in a video or an audio comment really which i think is an interesting idea because you know i guess they're used to just seeing you writing things all the time but if with a video or an audio there's maybe maybe a sense of mystery or something like what what's this going to be about or what's in here and yeah so you can use things like moat or screencastify to give feedback to students on there too Mm mm-hmm um, when I was thinking a little bit about this, I pulled out my – I was all about Hattie today. It was super fun mm-hmm. um, to pull some of that stuff back out. But one of the things that – this is one of the struggles, I think, with feedback is that if you have students who have been thriving on gaining a grade after every assignment, 
feedback becomes really hard because they don't want the feedback, they want the grade. Yeah. And so if you're really going to, I think, focus on providing feedback uh, for your students, feedback is only important if students use it moving forward. So yeah. if if you're going to have to get some things into place or provide time for students to look over that feedback and then take time in class for them to, you know, take that feedback and apply it to the learning. Um, and the other thing is, is it has to be the right type of feedback and it has to be usable by students. So feedback is important, right time, right place. So there's three types of feedback that you can give. One of them um, is on task, and that's really about when students are kind of still in the surface level of their knowledge. Um, and then on the process, which is when they're getting deeper into the process of something where they maybe need to start detecting their own errors um, and learning from those errors, and then self-regulation, which is um, more about, you know, the transfer of that knowledge. And so if you think about making sure that it's the right type of feedback, so if you're giving, like, self-regulation feedback when students are still attaining new knowledge, mm -hmm. the, that feedback doesn't work for them. It's got to be at the right time and the right place. And so... Um, and then I think you have to, you know, show students how they would use that feedback to move themselves forward. And and it it takes a little bit of brain breaking to get them away from worrying so much on just what the percentage was. Yeah, which is which is <laughs> that's you know, the biggest struggle I exactly, think. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and it, it it takes me back a little bit to blended learning, but also to Catlin Tucker because yeah. those two are yeah. inextricably linked these days. Yeah. But. Um, she talks in one of her books about, you know, when she has that teacher-led station and mm -hmm. sometimes she's just doing conferencing with students yeah. and she's a high school teacher, but she'll ask the kids to come to that station prepared. You know, I've looked at the feedback, oh, I have questions, yeah. I know mm -hmm. what do I need to do to move forward and, you know, they're, they're coming with... A, a conversation in mind that they want to have with the teacher so that mm -hmm. she makes the most of her time. So they're not sitting down there together looking at it for the first time and going, okay, so where yeah, should we go right. from here sort of thing, you know, because yeah, right. you know, that makes the most of her time and gets that done. But yeah. it might not be as easy to do like lower elementary, but, yeah. you know, if you've got the ability to do that with kids and have those times to conference with them and talk about the feedback and explain it, because, you know, just because you give them feedback doesn't mean they understand the feedback yeah. or, or know where to move mm -hmm. sometimes from there. Right. So they will have questions and things yeah. too. Well, and I would say too, the last thing that we should mention if we're talking about feedback is that if you're giving students feedback, you should also be willing to ask for feedback from your students. I'm just going to lay that out there. Yeah. Back away slowly. <laughs> no, I know. I don't think so. And I think we've talked about that before no, too. Oh, yeah. You know. But I think students feel, you know, if students can see that you've give, they've provided feedback to the teacher and the teacher's actually done something with it, yeah. it also gives them more power in the classroom, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're asking for feedback, make it focused. Like, how yeah. did this playlist yeah. work for you today? Exactly. Not like, how, how do I make you feel? You know, if yes. you don't want to open yourself up to like personal criticism, make Absolutely. it about the class and focus on something specific in your classroom that you really want to know how it's going for students and then make those changes and say, hey, I made this change because the feedback was. And then students are going to see like, oh, and you automatically become more engaged if you feel like, oh, she, he's really listening to me. I really make a difference in here. Yeah, definitely. So that takes us on to number seven, the last mm -hmm. one on our list to talk about today, and that's the idea of setting goals with students. So mm -hmm. 
if they have goals to work towards, they have, they know that this learning is going somewhere. There's a progression. Right. There's steps along the way that they need to take. And then they know that, you know, this particular part that they're doing now is not something that's going to go on forever. And it's not something that is the end of the journey. That right. There are steps along the way to, to help them work towards a, a higher objective. Mm-hmm. So I one thing, I, and I think you kind of touched on this, that's really important with learning goals is that students have to know what the learning goal is and how to get there. It can't be like a mystery to them. They have to see the steps and be able to say, okay, I have attained this chunk because I can do this. And that's where, you know, those I can statements or success criteria, they come back to haunt you, right? I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this came around 10 years ago and we're like, oh, geez, I don't want to do this work. (laughs) This seems like a lot of work. But if you use them and they live in your classroom, I think they really do help your students recognize where they are and recognize what the next steps are. Because I do think goal setting is really challenging with kids. It takes time. Um, You have to have some sort of, you know, strategy for kids to record those goals and go back to them. And I mean, that's a lot of work and it Mm -hmm. takes time in your classroom. Um, And you have to model it for kids too, which takes more time. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, like you said, and I like this too, that um, one of the things that uh, Catlin Tucker talks about in her Balance with Blended book is using conferencing too for that. So that when students have a goal, they need to be able to come and say, hey, I have evidence about this goal here it is. Let me show you. And you just build that right into your playlist or your blended learning, you know, structure, whatever it may be. Um, but I think it's hard. I think goal setting is is something that's super challenging. Yeah, it's something that I think you have to start, you know, early with kids so yeah. that they get in the process of doing that. And right. something you have to try and be consistent about as a, as a district going yeah. forward because if like one teacher does it in third grade and they don't do it again until sixth grade then right. yep. you know it's like they have to start again basically they, yeah. they lose that, that automaticity with mm-hmm. it but you know I think you as a teacher can also look at ways to scaffold some of those goals sure. like this is the goal and these are the steps that we're going to take to get there mm-hmm. and you know it looks more manageable that way and yeah. you can see the path and this is what I need to do and I'm going to get there so I'm going to be more engaged that I know um I know where I'm going with the learning. So we talked about, I think it was like last winter, we did like a webinar series and one of the sections of that was about learning goals and so, or setting goals, I'm sorry. And I did create a student portfolio template. So um, we'll have that linked here too, if anybody wants to, you know, use that. It does have single point rubrics put in there. We won't talk about single point rubrics probably today, but um, that's something that you can look up from uh, Jennifer Gonzalez, and it has those kind of built into it. And um, it might be a spot to start, although I think portfolios are challenging to get going to. So I always like to have a little asterisk next to it. Like, I know this is hard. (laughs) All right. So seven things then that you can think about if you are looking to try and get your kids more engaged in the learning. And and let's face it, we're heading into December right now. And if student engagement is ever hard, (laughs) it's it's hard in December, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. So uh, up next, my favorite part of the show, Tech Nuggets. We always pause here, waiting for... I was looking at your... I don't know. What's this first... I want you to go first, and I want you to correctly pronounce the name of your tech nugget. (laughs) I was going to ask you, do you know how to pronounce my nugget? Because I don't know how to pronounce my nugget. 
I think it's going to be Stua. I think so. I think so too. I think I'm going right. to go with Stua, which is a new tool I came across recently. It's okay. an online fishbowl tool. Okay. So fishbowl. ELA teachers will be familiar with the fishbowl technique, mm-hmm. yeah. where you have a conversation on something, but instead of having a whole group, you maybe bring that down to like four or five kids in the middle of a circle, and the rest of them are the people watching them mm-hmm. from the outside, yep. watching the fishbowl. Yep. I'll put a link to what fishbowl is if you haven't seen that before. Yep. But this is kind of an interesting tool. It's kind of like a video conferencing tool. Okay. Uh, like it's kind of like joining a Zoom call. You join a Zoom okay. call, and then there's five seats for you to join take part in the conversation so if you are you know starting the conversation you as the facilitator the teacher you're going to be there and then you're going to have maybe three or four students there that want to start talking about this conversation Mm -hmm. and the idea is you always leave a seat available for somebody else from the audience to join Hmm. it's like in a zoom call you know where you see all your participants down the right hand side there Um, anybody at any time can take the empty seat but when somebody takes the empty seat somebody else has to give up their seat and and that's how how it goes forward and you keep going through the conversation you can set a timer for how long the conversation is going to be and uh, I guess maybe assign some of those roles that you talked about for taking notes Mm -hmm. and facilitation and stuff like that but completely free 100% based on that fishbowl model yeah um, so I just throw it in there. I think it's not something a lot of teachers are, are in our area are doing right now in terms of virtual uh, instruction. Right. But I think it's an interesting one maybe to keep in your toolkit in case one day you might need it again. Okay. You never know. Yeah, that's right. All right. So I couldn't decide if this is really a tech nugget or just funny. But um, <laughs> Nicholas, Fer- I think it's Ferroni. Is that right? I was waiting to see how you okay, were going to pronounce yeah. your tech Here nugget. Here we are Wendy. again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I saw that he tweeted, I don't know, a couple days ago that says, I changed my phone's name to your BFF and I randomly airdrop these memes to students who are on their phones and their reactions are hilarious. And so they're all like memes about like your grades and like what's going on in school right now and make sure you're paying attention to Mr. Froney's amazing lesson. They're just kind of fun and memes that you see all the time with whatever words on them. And I don't know if it's a good idea or if you're, like, opening a can of worms, but mm. um, I do think it's kind of a fun, like, way to get kids, you know, like, hey, <laughs> I see you on your phone. And yeah. not everybody has their airdrop open. I don't know if, like, I don't know if kids have their airdrop open. I have mine open to, like, my contacts, but not to everyone. So I don't even know, like, how often he does this or whatever. But I did think it was kind of a creative way to use, like, a funny little, like – Hack. <laughs> I like it, yeah. yeah. And you can only airdrop to iOS devices. That's right, but Maybe yes. if you had iPads in your classroom yeah. mm-hmm. or Macs, yeah. you could airdrop to a Mac. You could so, airdrop to a Mac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a story in, in The Wired for a while about this guy who used to do this on uh, public transport. Yeah. He had this picture of a sloth in yeah. a spacesuit. Yeah. And he would just randomly just fire it off to it's people. so funny and, and just like watch him get it. Yeah. So I think it's in that vein, but uh, funny, fun. Yes. I mean, we're in December. We got to try Maybe and it's time. keep it real, haven't we? <laughs> Might be real. Yes. All right. My second nugget okay. is something I didn't know existed, but it's simple Wikipedia. 
It's simple.wikipedia.org. Okay. And at simplewikipedia.org, they use simple English words and grammar. So it's like that old scenario where sometimes you go look, you get your kids to look something up in the dictionary and they'd read the definition and they would be none the wiser because the definition was like so wordy. It was <laughs> yeah, like, right. I, needed, I need to look up words in the definition to work yes. out what this means. Yeah. So. Um, I just think for maybe English language learners mm -hmm. or for elementary kids, if they're doing some research, want to look some things up, I don't think it has every page in Wikipedia okay. as a simple English version. But mm -hmm. if you're looking for, you know, uh, an easier to read version with more basic vocabulary, simple sentence structure, okay. things like that, simple Wikipedia is uh, the way to go. Nice. I like Wikipedia. Yeah, me too. All right, so um, this tech nugget I got from um, Shana Helmke. She is one of our coaches at Linmar, and she it's actually a name. His name is Tyler Tarver, I believe, and she called him the TikTok guy, but he's actually on all places of social media, and he gives like all kind his TikTok is funny. I will give him that. So, but he does give all kinds of free templates. He shows you how to create Google templates. Um, just does like little tips and tricks. I saw one of his little, um, TikTok videos. I don't even know if they're called videos. Are they called ticks or they called talks. What are they called? I think I they're videos. Know. Okay. But I don't know. Um, was just about organizing like your Google classroom. And so if you're on the TikTok and maybe he's on Instagram reels, which is where I feel like my generation hangs out a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I'll have to follow him, but he does. Um, the link that I have here is just kind of his like about me page. It's not about me though. It's solo.to. I don't even know what that is. Um, but it has all of his spots that you can go and get his stuff. So it might be something that you want to take a look at and find some templates or get some tips and tricks from someone that isn't Jonathan or myself. Tyler Tarver. Yeah. Tyler right. Tarver. Is he on Twitter? Should I follow him there? He is on Twitter. Okay. Okay. Maybe he doesn't do anything on Twitter though. Cause no one does anything on Twitter. He is on Twitter. He's got stuff on here. 18 hours ago was his last tweet. There you go. Awesome. Okay. Very good. Yeah. I just listened to a podcast about um, a woman who calls herself Miss Excel. Oh. And she has made TikTok videos that make her six figures a day. That's not true. That is true. She doesn't make she, six figures a day. She does. She does not. Not 100% from TikTok, okay? Oh, so okay. she has these Excel courses and things that she oh, sells. okay. And she uses TikTok and Instagram and things okay. like that to promote them. And she'll do things like, you know how they, there's always these like viral songs and things yes. on Instagram reels and stuff. Yes. She'll take one of those songs and she'll somehow equate it to some function in Excel. And she'll do a little dance and have like a little how-to above her head okay. of how to do something. Excel, yep. like how to sum and average numbers and it's based on something uh, a song of some kind but yeah. she makes a lot of money oh my gosh that, so. I, I need to investigate the tiktoks I oh think. tiktok is fun i had to take it off my phone because i was on it a lot it's just like is it, it just, kind of addicting it is super addicting and then like the more you watch of one thing it gives i mean it's just like the yeah. analytics of it you're like oh my gosh i watched what three, does this four say videos in a row i'm ready for something else so i feel like you kind of get down this you get funneled down into a certain like area of it and that i didn't necessarily love but instagram reels is pretty much the same i know I, I do reels and that is like you just keep flicking and before you know it oh i'll just do one. Oh no yeah. oh, that's a really <laughs> oh, good that one was funny. <laughs> yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, okay. we should uh, 
wrap this up? Wrap up our social media bad habits. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, say that we'll be back with oh, one more episode before yeah. the end of the year. Right. I hope we're going to do a tech nugget bonanza. <laughs> it's been a long time since we just did a tech nugget episode. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. So we're okay. just going to throw all that news and follow up at the window and yeah. all that other more serious stuff. And we're just going to do the lighthearted tech yeah. nuggets right. for a whole seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or however long it takes. Yeah, right. Yeah. So until next time. This has been the Tech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. Good luck editing that. That will be fun.